Y'all know that proverbial ship that I keep talking about that's going to set sail one day? Guess what? It set sail. And what that means is that we as a family have began to move forward into new adventures. We have new ministries that are starting. Colleen is starting up the uh, Alpha Yakers. It's in your bulletin. We're going to be going doing some kayaking. Uh, we have other ministries that are starting up or, or in, at least in discussion of, and I don't want to take anyone's glory from them. So when they're ready to come forward and, and announce their ministries, I'll let them do that. But know that the ship has left dock, and we are on new territory. And for me, I want to take worship into a new direction. And in order to do that, I have to define what worship service is and is not. Because when we define, when we make what I call a mission statement, then, then it, it ties us to, to our mission. It identifies why we're here, what we're doing, how we're serving, and who we're to serve. So myself and who I refer to as the um, unofficial worship team, the folks who give their time to make sure that worship comes together for you, um, had a few discussions and communications back and forth, and this is what we came up with. This is who we say that we are and the purpose of worship for Alpha United Methodist. And it's to preach unapologetically the gospel of Jesus Christ for the edification of the church, to remember always in doing so the imperfections within all people while embracing both grace and mercy, to offer truth in accordance with God's word to bring hope, healing, and inspiration to God's children for the fullness of life, to worship God with whole hearts, offering acts of praise in the sharing of life, words, and song as expressions of love and gratitude towards God, and to work towards fulfillment of Christ's command of making disciples of all people, in doing so, teaching that Christ is to be the center of life. That's our purpose, and that's our mission for worship. And I guess I want to focus a little bit today on the last part, Christ being the center of our lives. Today's passage of Scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. It's written, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre to Sidon who came to hear him, and he healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him 
and heal them all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, as we come before you today during this part of the worship service, just ask that you be with me. Give me guidance and direction. Offer us today, Father God, words of hope and inspiration that, that bring healing to those who are hurting, to bring hope to those who are suffering hopeless, and to bring inspiration to every soul gathered here today and to everyone watching on the Internet. Father, I ask that you empty me of any desire to speak my own. Fill me with your spirit and let every word that comes from my mouth be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we talk about Jesus being the center of our lives. We are really saying this, that everything that we do in thought and in deed is focused on how Jesus would have us to respond. We as Christians, our part of our mission is to be pleasing unto God. That is an act of love toward God. We can't always perfect that. I understand that. I am just as human as you and everyone in our community are just as human as us. But sometimes it's, it's not the perfection of the act that we do toward God so much as it is the intent. See, God knows the heart of man. And he knows when we're sincere in our acts toward him that when we give our gifts, he knows if, if we're giving with a whole heart or if we're giving to be pleasing to men. But there are a lot of reasons why we would want to make Jesus the center of our lives. And I think he gives us these examples of how to live and how to love and why we should cling so tightly to him. Verse 12 says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night long in prayer to God. And I read that passage of Scripture, and this is what comes to mind because I, I know a little bit of the background. Prior to this event, Jesus has really had a pretty difficult time. He's been challenged by the Pharisees about his identity, about his purpose, and some of the things that his disciples have been doing making people think that they were doing something wrong when they weren't. And he confronted those peoples. And that's a heavy burden to bear, carrying the, the burden of other people's sins. And Jesus needed a break. He needed some time away to refocus his life. Much like we say that, that we're going to focus our lives on Christ, what he shows us here is that he too has a center, and his center is the Father. He went to the mountain to be alone, to be away from the noise of the world, the, the pressures that people put upon him so that he could refocus his life, his mission, and his thoughts so that he could make sure that his next steps were aligned with the will of the Father. And I hope that you can see your own walk in that. Because there are many times that, that life gets difficult, it gets hard, and, and sometimes we get really confused about what it is that, that we should and shouldn't do. 
We hear the voices of our friends and our relatives telling us how we should live or, or what decision that we should make. And sometimes it's good advice. But you know what? Good advice isn't always the right advice for the individual. You see, we as people, we want to be wise and, and accept from others the knowledge of their experience and the knowledge of their insights into life. But when it boils down to it is this, no matter who influences our decisions, we are solely responsible for them. I can't say that, that when I went to the restaurant yesterday with the intent of getting something healthy, that it was their fault that, that I ate all the other stuff because they presented it to me. They gave me options and opportunities, but the menu had other options and opportunities on it that I could have chosen from. But I chose myself to go off the grid, to, to, to eat the things that, that I wanted to for the moment that brought pleasure. Now, I will share with you that later on that afternoon, I spent about an hour and a half at the gym on the treadmill and the Stairmaster and the uh, rowing machine to try to burn off some of that stuff. That was the consequence of my choice. And there was no one to blame for that choice except me. But whether it's a menu, a family member, or a friend, somebody is always going to offer up advice to us about who we should be, how we should live. And no matter how good that is, it is always wise to do what Christ did, to separate ourselves sometimes from, from that environment to, to go to our closets, as the scriptures say, to be in prayer to God, to empty out our hearts. To a God who has nothing better to do with his time than to love and listen to his children. And then the scripture goes on to say that and when it was day, meaning the next day after Christ went to the mountain, that he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose twelve whom he also named to be apostles. Now we talked a little bit Wednesday night about the disciples being called and kind of as Jesus walked into the scene and just out of nowhere said, Peter, Come and follow me and be fishers of men. And we read that passage of Scripture and we, we think that, you know, how amazing it is and, and how much authority a person must have to be able to just speak those few words at the first meeting of someone and say to them, Come and follow me. And they immediately drop everything in life, walk away, and follow Jesus. But we're not so certain that it necessarily happen that dramatically. Because Jesus points out here that it was on that day when the disciples had all gathered around sometime after that initial calling that he named them to be the apostles. And here's what I'm getting at. Jesus 
had a wonderful following. People came from miles around to, to hear him speak and to watch him heal the sick and bring hope to those who were suffering hopelessness. And in the midst of all those that gathered were the ones that he originally called. Peter, from the shores, Bartholomew, who, who is known also as Nathaniel, and the man Jerry talked about him a little bit Wednesday night, and his experience was this. Someone uh, approached him and said, Nathaniel, you, you, you've got to come with me. We found the Messiah. We know who he is. He's here in our presence, and he's from a town called Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response was this, Nazareth? What possible good could come out of Nazareth? So many came to hear and see and to be disciples of Christ. And in the midst of all those people, Christ called out 12 to be his apostles. And what does any of that have to do with us? It's this right here. If we, if we think of that large group of disciples as a large community of people, much like our own, but yet God called you here and assigned you tasks and gave you purpose in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And made you apostles. Do you know the difference between a disciple and an apostle? A disciple will hear the word and apply the word sometimes. At minimum, they'll, they'll hear the word and have a, a working understanding of it in their hearts and minds. And attempt to mimic what it is that they were taught. But the apostles are the ones that, that wanted to go a little bit further, that heard a call and were filled with passion and desire to fulfill that call. They were the ones who were sent out into the world to deliver the message of salvation. And they understand that message because they took all the other distractions in life and set them aside to serve Christ our Savior. Now, I can only uh, imagine what it's like because I'm a skeptical person. If you haven't learned that from me by now, you soon will. I, I don't trust easily. I have to know people's behavior. I have to know how they respond to certain things, and then I learn how to work with them. And I'm sure that many of you are the same. In my mind, that's, that's wisdom. And I would think that the apostles much felt the same way. That they not just heard the call of Jesus, but, but they left everything and, and followed him and listen to everything that they said 
and saw everything that was taught and witnessed firsthand the miracles that Jesus performed. And I think that in that time, they began to understand who Jesus was as a person and as a Messiah. And they began to develop a trust centralized on his identity and his ability. And many people's walk today, I think that's how they come to trust in Jesus. It would be grand if everyone was so bold that, that at the name of Jesus they would just automatically trust everything that they hear and see. But Christ so many times offers mercy and grace in our relationship as we draw closer to him. You see, he didn't condemn me when I wasn't certain. And he didn't mock me if I got the answer wrong. But the more I make Christ important to me, the more I, I sought understanding to life circumstances and how God works in it, the more I came to understand that not only did Christ die for my sins, but that I can trust his teachings in loving myself, in loving others, and in loving Jesus. And then we find this. That not only does, does Jesus want to, to call us to a purpose and, and give us life abundantly, but that he wants to do good and kind things toward us. He says, and he came down with them, being the disciples, and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And if I can respect anything from that passage is this. That God himself, though rightfully could, put himself above me. He stood saying that I am here with you. That I am not better than you. But because of the grace of God, you as a people are equal to me. You are my brothers and my sisters. 
and you are prophets and priests to the nations. And I have for you a crown and a seal from the Holy Spirit that says that, that you're not something that's set aside, but that you are something special, that, that you are something that, that's part of God's creation. And I want to do good on your behalf. You know, the Scripture points out all the time about Jesus healing the blind or, or healing the lame. And we think sometimes, you know, why is it that, that in the time of Jesus it seemed like everyone was being healed, but, but we don't see it so much today? I think that we do. I just think that the, the methods of healing have changed. I think sometimes healing comes from our medical professionals who answered a call to service to care for the sick, to bring them back to health, and to live with our dying so that when they leave this world, they leave with peace and dignity. But I think that some of the physical healings that, that Christ showed us is a physical manifestation of what God wants to do with us as a people. That he wants to take our pains and replace them with happiness or joy, more rightfully so. That if we bring to him all of our hopes and our dreams and lay them before the cross, that he will work in our hearts and our minds to create in us the people that, that we need to be to be able to accomplish those goals. And to be able to do the things in life that we want to do. I watched kids go to the police academy and there was a video I wanted to show you but with my sense of humor, I find it funny, but it probably wasn't fitting for this environment. And it was a, an academy of recruits that went into police, uh, policing probably three or four years after I did. And the video shows them lined up outside the police academy just after completing a run. And, and the, what you would refer to as drill instructors at that time or at that stage, our lieutenants and our sergeants who were training them were, were coming by and drilling them on, on questions according to the law and questions about our codes that we would use because we were talking codes with numbers. One of my favorite, if I haven't shared with you before, <coughs> is this. I would get on the radio and I would say 321 to 324, can you 59 with me at station 4? And what that translates to in civilian terms is Hey, John, this is Tommy. I just left a domestic dispute, and you're not going to believe the contents of it. Meet me over at the fire station so I can give you all the rundown on it. And they would walk through that line of those recruits and start asking them, you know, tell me what signal four is or, or what 10-7 means. But because they just had got finished running, some of them were hard uh, catching their breath. They couldn't answer. The pressure was on. And, and there was one that was in the back that, that was bent over because he, he couldn't, his body couldn't took the run. And he was responding negatively to it. 
And there was one that he came up to, and he asked him, he said, well, why do you want to be a police officer? Did you watch cops on TV? And the guy looked at him, and he said, yes, sir. And then he looked back at him, he goes, you're serious, aren't you? He goes, yeah, I'm serious. That young man didn't make it. But the young man that was in the back, that was bent over, that couldn't breathe, became one of the best officers that Gwinnett County ever had in service. You see, his desire to be a police officer was much stronger than his desire to quit. And I had the pleasure of training him once he came out of the academy. And this is what he said to me. I wasn't strong enough to do what was required of me. But I believed in my God. And I walked with Jesus every day. And Jesus took that pain that he experienced when it seemed like he was failing and empowered him to to stand up in the presence of that adversity and face each challenge as it presented itself. To take weakness and bring healing to create strength. The last part of this passage of Scripture says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. I think sometimes we think of Jesus as an ultimate power source that doesn't get tired. Now maybe in his spiritual form, in his pure deity of the Godhead, that may be true. But what we need to remember is this, that Christ left heaven to take on the mere form of man And he suffered the same emotional states that we have as a people. And when he gave of himself, it took energy from his being. And that is another example that he gives us about our life. That when we reach for the stars it will take sometimes every bit of energy that we have just like it left Christ's body to go out and perform his task it's going to leave our body as well but because it leaves when we exert ourselves does it mean 
it won't return. We make a full circle. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And that's what we do. When we center our life on Christ, that he's going to call us to do things and experience things that are absolutely wonderful in life. And he's going to provide hope, strength, and healing. And when that energy comes out and we're tired, go back to the Father and let him replenish. So I guess I'm saying this. When we put Jesus first in all things, we will live and experience life like we never have before. We will never be alone. We will always accomplish. We will dream and we will fulfill dreams. And we will always find rest with the Father. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today as we close our service and thank you for the time that you've given us together here. Help us, Father God, to to experience you in all things throughout this week and help us to, to stay focused on your Son, his teachings, and the life that he lived for us before he was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. Help us to quieten the voices of external forces so that we can focus and concentrate on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace always. Amen.